Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. I want to read this because I want to deal with the passage itself this morning. and I want to talk about this, the church's commission. I, mean, I want to talk about it in light of this entire setting in which it is given to us. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. Ha, glory. For he is risen, as he said. <laughs> Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. And there shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. Oh, hallelujah. And did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed under the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers. Doubt will cost you. Saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Everybody say that last four-letter word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Amen. 
Well, I wish to talk to you this morning about the church's commission. We call this passage the Great Commission. That's okay. I'm going to look at it from the perspective of the church somewhat, the church's commission that God has given to us to go out into this world and to do what He has said to do. It hasn't changed. The Lord's purposes have not changed in 2018 from what they were in around A.D., somewhere A.D. 28, A.D. 30, 32, somewhere wherever you may put that time frame when He is giving this charge. In other words, almost 2,000 years, lacking a little bit, 1900 and uh, uh, 80, 85, so many years that has went by since the Lord has given this command and it has not changed. The church has witnessed a lot of changes and so to speak a lot of waters went under the bridge. But our calling is the same today as it was then. Our Lord is the same today as He was then. Nothing's been added to Him. His purposes are the same. His being is the same. Amen. His requirements are the same. His directive is the same. His power is the same. None of that has changed. I'm concerned as I preach this morning and share with you, <coughs> there has been, <coughs> excuse me, I am, America is right now in an identity crisis. People are in an identity crisis. People are uncertain of their gender. They're uncertain of their future. They're uncertain of their relationships. We've come to the place we're not even sure what a valid marriage is any longer. We're not sure whether we are, are, are male or female. We're not sure really where our nation is going, whether we're Democrat or Republican, whether we're Socialist or Republic. And we have a generation today that has been disconnected from its roots. It's been disconnected from where it came from. And so we're reinventing the wheel. We're reinventing our identity, I should say, in a better way. And America is now going through an identity change. And America has, is going through a transformation in which we are now taking on a new identity. We're different than we used to be. Our perspectives are different. Our people are different. Our culture is different and is changing rapidly. And I am concerned because I believe that I see the church in the same state. And the church seems to be in somewhat of an identity crisis. Who are we? What should we look like? What should we be doing? Do Are we Methodists or Baptists? Are we Pentecostals or Presbyterians? What are we? What should a Christian look like? What should a Christian be doing? And I'm concerned that in our age of distraction, I'm concerned that in this age of, of technology, in this age when much is going on around us and we are involved in this and that, things that are necessary, cares of the life that, that inundate us, but, and, and all that happens in our nation and in our world, our concern is, is that we don't lose sight of why we're here. My concern is that uh, we have to come back oftentimes to the table to say, this is who we are. This is why we meet on Sundays. This is why we gather in the church. This is what I should be doing during the weekend. And all the things that, that, uh, that I have to do in my work and in my labor that, that, that the Lord has laid before me. I must provide for my family. I must take care of, of the things that he has given me and be a steward. But at the 
same time, all of that is to be kept in the perspective of building the church, of building the kingdom of God, of heading for that moment when Jesus comes in the clouds. Amen. And remembering that we have a commission, remembering that the Lord has chosen and spoken to us to go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, that you and I have got a charge and a purpose so that as you're doing your job, as you're raking your yard, as you're doing your work during the week, as you're driving the truck, as you're, as you're out working and, and accomplishing a task that's been placed before you, we must remember these are all secondary to the primary. These are all to be seen as a spokes and the wheel of the hub is still Christ and everything is to be centered and focused in that person, Jesus Christ. And so I preach this morning with those things in mind. I preach because I get concerned. I preach because I see people sometimes in our church that it's, I know you love God. I know the heart is there. I've been, I feel that sometimes though people are distracted I feel that sometimes folks are losing their edge. I feel that sometimes I look and see some that, that are always seems like they're on fire. They're in tune. They're pushing forward. They're, they're in go. They're on, they're on board. And, and then sometimes I see some that are struggling and battling and not sure where they stand, not sure why they're going through what they're going through, and sometimes just inundated with the challenges of life and they're struggling to overcome them. They're struggling sometimes to reach the end of the day. They're struggling to get to another tomorrow. And though that they come and they're blessed and yet that sometimes in that struggle again we can lose sight of why we're here. Amen. And I don't want that. And I know my own personal challenges as my life changes, as new things come to me, as new challenges come to my life. I know the challenges that my nation are presenting to me. I know those challenges that are coming in my own life. And I know the daily battle. I know the daily daily necessity. I know the daily devotion. I know the times in my life that I'm having to get a hold of me and say, no, this is where you go. This is what you do. This is what it's about. Don't forget who you are and why you're here. And if I'm facing it, surely we are all. We're facing it. Not because I'm just a human like you are. We're all together in this. And we live in the same nation and the same world. We, we experience the same things. And so I just wanted to, to, to preface this sermon here this morning with this sense that my heart today is to cause you to, to be think about who you are and to think about why you're here, to just certify, confirm, and affirm in your own life, this is who I am. I am a believer. I am not lost. And this is why I am a believer. I am a part of the church. And this is what I'm doing. I am not just helping a brother build a building. I'm not just going there and, and, and socializing. I am building the kingdom of God. I am mindful of the company of disciples. I'm not just going to church and putting my time in on a Sunday morning. I am here. Oh, to the love of God. I'm here to build the body of Christ. I'm here to save that you and I come together as that company of disciples and the world sees that we are one and we're not a bunch of, uh, of segregated individuals uh, who come to simple, some kind of social gathering and meeting, but we're a body. We work together. We love one another and we, we share with one another. We put up with one another because Christ has united us in him. 
So think about that this morning. Now as you take your Bible, the church's commission. Four things we're going to talk about from this passage and not all four of them this morning. But I want to talk about the foundation. And then I want to talk about the faith. May get to that point today. Maybe not. And then I'll talk about the facts of the commission and the fellowship of the commission. But first of all, the foundation of this commission. The Lord has just stated that I stood out there and said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore. But, but how is it that all power has been given unto him? How did he arrive at that point? And how did he get there where all power? That's a big statement we'll talk about a little bit later. But I want to I see what's, what's brought us to this point or what event has taken place that all of a sudden Jesus has went uh, from being crucified to sitting at the right hand. He has went from being uh, 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 one whose, uh, whose presence uh, has been in, in, in presence. He's been condemned by Pilate to all of a sudden being over a Pilate. Uh, yeah. Yes. How is it when that he was at Monza a few days ago subject to the ruling of the Sanhedrin and now he sits over the Sanhedrin? Oh, glory. How is it he has went from being one walking through Galilee and healing and touching and preaching and sharing to now he sits in a place where he has all power and all authority? How has this taken place? What is it? Of course, there are many things that have transacted, but there is one of event and that event becomes the foundation of our commission and that event has become the catalyst that has taken him from the lowest parts of the earth to the highest parts of heaven glory it has taken him from a place of being despised to a place of being glorified it has taken him from the cross to the throne it has taken him from the place of controversy unto the place of glory and worship glory and that is none other than the rest Resurrection. Thrilled my heart to hear Brother John sing that chorus this morning. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive forevermore. And we forget that sometimes what that event means to us and what it has brought to us. Some things I want to share with you as you're t looking back for a moment in, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. I want to see some things involved in this resurrection that has led to his ascension and his being seated at the right hand of the Father. Number one, this is the resurrection has brought to us a new day. A new day, if you will. Look at that just for a moment. In the end of the Sabbath, and as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Now we know and understand the scriptures very clear that when Jesus rose from the dead, he did so not on the seventh day, but on the first day. Yes, sir. And I think it's interesting, these words of Matthew. I, I know that he's expressing a time frame, and he's putting it there, but I think the word are also indicative of not just a time frame and a chronological account of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also the ending of one age and the beginning of another. Glory. Oh, yes. We are moved now when Christ sits at the right hand of God because Christ has risen from the dead. We have just moved from being under the law 
called to being under grace. We have just moved from being that which is baptized under Moses now to being baptized under Jesus. We have moved from the prophets unto the prince of peace. We have moved from the law unto grace and truth. We have just now changed and have come into a new era. We have moved from the covenant of Abraham and David in that regards or the covenant of the law and now we are under the covenant of grace. We have moved from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. We have moved from living in the power of self to living in the power of the Holy Ghost. That event is the catalyst that will put him at the right hand and from there on everything he does is going to affect the church and govern the world. He's going to send the Holy Ghost. That event brought to us a new day. The end of the Sabbath. The end of a of an era, the end of a covenant, if you will, something that was faded and dying out. Paul talks about the glory was fading away, but this new covenant has a glory that will never fade away. Oh, yes, it's just a simple thing, the end of the Sabbath, but I think it was also the end, if you will, of an age and a new age coming in. And now here we are sitting in 2018, and you can fuss about it and argue about it all day long. But the fact is, is in that, that in, as Christianity grew and as it began to leave the roots of Judaism, first of all it was distinct from Judaism from the beginning. Not so much in group, if you will, but they preached a message that the majority of Jews did not adhere to. They went out and preached Christ. He was a Jew and they went out and preached that he is Lord of all. He is the son of the living God. And I will tell you the bulk of the the Jews, the cross was an offense to them and they did not receive it. But understand them that kind of a time frame that Christ would, would go out and it was there connected to Judaism. But soon it, Judaism would have to fade away. There would be a distinctiveness that would come to the church and they are set apart. They are not the same as we are. They do not hold the same ideas. They believe Messiah has come and we're still waiting for Messiah. And Christianity became that exclusive unique religion in all of the world. Oh my. And here we stand today in a new era and it came about that our day of worship would no longer be the seventh day. It would be the first day. We would no longer worship on a Jewish Sabbath because we're not Jews. Our Sabbath we will keep. We will have a cycle of seven days. Six days of labor and the day of rest. But our seventh day will be our first day. And our first day will be our day of worship. Why? Because we are here not to celebrate the giving of the law, but we're here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Hallelujah. We're not here to celebrate a glory that's fading. We're here to celebrate a glory that's increasing. We're not here to celebrate the letter. We're here to celebrate the spirit. Hallelujah. The first day of the week. Christianity, the resurrection brought us a new day. Oh, glory. Amen. That you and I now live in this day in which today we're gathered here this morning on this first day of the week. And that you and I are living in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say something about that. That it's not just the fact that he is risen. It's not just that 
He lives. He does live. But there's a little bit more to it. It's quite all right to say he is alive. He is alive. But, but I want you to understand there are a lot of folks before him that died and were resurrected. And you could say, Lazarus, after four days, he was resurrected. And his sisters could go crying throughout the neighborhood. He's alive. He's alive. But they would also come a day when they would go back through that same neighborhood and say, he is now dead. He is now dead. Jesus is the one who was alive. He died. And now he's alive forevermore. Glory. Lazarus was alive. He died, became alive, and died again. Yeah, that's what it was. But Jesus rose to die no more. He's not just alive. He is risen. He is not just alive. He's glorified. He's not just living. He's resurrected. He has a different body. He has a new body. He's got a new position, if you will. He sits at the right hand of the Father. You and I have got a new day, and we're still part of a new day. We are not here celebrating some old ancient relic of a religion. We're celebrating a live and vibrant Christianity because the head of our church is still rolling and reigning. Touch him. He is yet physical man and yet enthroned him for he sits at the right hand of God exalted above all principality and power. Our king is alive and resurrected. We are in a new day. There is no significance on that day. It's just an old ordinary day, grind day, start your weekday. To them, it was the first day of the week. Under those Jews, it's starting a new week. It's just the grind. It's getting back. They're finishing up their rest. If that part is starting it back, and that's the day Jesus wanted to do because his ministry is going to start something new. His ministry is bringing a new covenant, a new testament in his blood and in his body. This is an ancient, it's brand new, and he's given us something something that you and I can have and have new life. We are a new creature. We have new life. We have a new man. We have a new heart. We have a new hope. We have a new outlook. We are a new people. Oh, hallelujah. We've got a new beginning. And let us never forget that the church came into existence and our commission is founded upon the resurrection that began for us a new day. Just, I want to talk about this new attitude. There's a new day, there's a new attitude. Look at this passage, it's beautiful. Things that are found here. Verse, I was reading this verse this morning, and I, I, when I read it, I chuckled. It, it just, verse 2, it just, it thrilled me. I, I get my mind's eye, and I see all the events that's happened. The animosity, the darkness of the hour, the fear of the disciples as they fled, the failure of Peter, the suicide of Judas, the corruption of the Sanhedrin meeting in its darkness, its unveiled, the confusion in Pilate's hall, his wife telling him, have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things. 
because of him in a dream this night and Pilate washing his hands ceremonially. Pilate and Herod being brought together. The walk up Golgotha's hill, Christ and Simon bearing his cross after him. Christ lacerated, bloody, his face just obliterated and swollen, his beard having been plucked out, his body covered with blood. Him looking at the women behind him and saying, don't weep for me. They've done these things in a green tree. What shall be done in the dry? And man, if they're doing this to good folks, what are they going to do to bad? You better weep for your children because that's a culture you live in. Come on now. He said, you better look around at your culture. You better look around at your nation. You're living under a government that condemns a healer. You're looking under your government that condemns a, a one who's delivering people from sin. You're living under a governor and, and a country and a people that will condemn their very best. If they're condemning me, what are they going to do with you? You better pray for your nation. Dark days. Earthquake took place. Three hours of darkness, an eclipse of the sun. Sad. They take him out, and finally, not even one of the eleven will do it. One's dead. There's now eleven, but there's there's a disciple by Joseph, uh, by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He goes and begs the body of Jesus. Uh, he's kind of been a secret disciple. He's been hiding in the wings somewhere. All those that have been public, all those that says we're going to go to the death with you, all those that says we're ready to fight for you, Jesus, all those that were saying, look, look, we're ready to go all the way. Just name it. We're right here. Where are they at? Uh, a secret disciple. That's to come out of the wings and get his body and carry it and place it in the hillside in a tomb and then rolls the stone over it and then we're going about a day or so and those that Sanhedrin gets together and says you know what they go in there to Pilate and say would you give us a watch would you give us a, some soldiers because we remembered something we forgot that this fellow said that after three days it would rise they caught it oh come on now they'd heard about the resurrection after three days it's going to rise up and we don't want that to happen to disciples may come on the third day and steal the body so we want you to, to set a seal and bring a watch so they brought their soldiers uh, and now they're out there we call it a graveyard it wasn't a graveyard not like we have this is a tomb it's a, it's a cavern. It's cut out of the rock. It's in the hillside, all right? So they go there to the hillside, and, and back in that hillside has been a little room cut out to place the dead. And that big old stone that, that's in a groove, a little slot-like, and it rolls on a little incline down to cover up and seal the face of that tomb. And then they put a seal on it, however means, maybe by tying it or something, but they put some kind of seal on it so that you couldn't move the stone without breaking the seal. And then, and do Doing that, it would show that, hey, somebody's entered this. That would take more than one person because it's going to take more than one to roll that stone away. And so a company might would come and steal him away. And Pilate says, go ahead. You got your watch. Go do it. So now we're out there and those, those uh, soldiers are sitting at the tomb. Uh, those, uh, the, the disciples are hiding out in an upper room. Uh, the women are, are, are talking among themselves. It's all they can think about. They've celebrated Passover, but it hasn't had any value this time. They celebrated Passover but it's been a humdrum because all their minds can think about is the king. What happened? Where did it go wrong? I didn't see this coming. Why did he go through this? What's this crucifixion about? Did you see him? And they talk about it. Did you see the look on his face? Did you see the pain in his eye? Did you feel the darkness? Did you feel the earth went under your feet? Oh, 
all of that coming. And then I see all of that darkness, and here came, I thought was kind of humorous. All of a sudden, the, the rocks shake again. All of a sudden, as it begins to dawn, as the light is beginning to come and rise upon that morning, here comes another earthquake, and it shakes it. And all of a sudden, here comes down an angel. There's these soldiers, and some women have come to the sepulcher. The Bible said that they came to see the sepulcher. Glory. Oh, yes. All they came to see was a tomb. They couldn't get in it. They had no way to access it. They just came expecting to find a body, but they went away. No, glory to God. Finding nothing. But what grabbed me is this. Here comes this great angel coming from heaven. It's like lightning. His appearance will blind you. You ever see how bright lightning is sometimes? He shines with a brilliance. And those soldiers who are used to war, who have seen blood, who have fought men that are larger, no doubt, than themselves, they're accustomed. They're accustomed to difficult circumstances. They're accustomed to killing. But this is one event that when they saw it, makes for speechless. They were dead men, the Bible said. They just fell down like dead men. They're scared. These big, tough soldiers are scared out of their wits. They don't know what's up. And you know what he does? That angel just takes up and rolls that stone away. This is what I like. And then he just sits on it. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. You know what came to my mind in our modern vernacular was take that. Yeah. You, you, you nailed him to a tree. You got rid of him. You locked him up in a tomb. And he comes down and rolls it away. It's empty. Take that. And he just sits there. I could see him sitting on that stone this morning with that kind of smug look on his face. Ha ha. Let me tell you something. It wasn't but a few days ago that angel himself was in consternation. He couldn't grasp it. Why have we not been called upon? Why is he not called the legions of angels? Why is he not called us uh, to wipe out the people? What's been going on here? But it's all clear now. Hallelujah. He sits there and he sits on that stone. It's empty. He's at the right hand. He has been restored to a place of glory. like, how's that tickle your fancy? <laughs> how's that, Caiaphas? Yeah, yeah. Take a look, buddy. Come on. Bring your road show. Bring your planet. Bring everything over here. Bring your entourage. Bring your armies. Gander at the tomb. I like this. Watch it. He says, talks about his countenance. The fear of him, the keepers, the guards, they shook and became his dead men. They didn't move a muscle. Woo, I like that. I like this, verse 5, and the angel answered. Ain't nobody said nothing. <laughs> Ain't nobody said nothing. Oh, yeah, they have. Their very position 
their death-like silence. <laughs> their fear is preaching. Yeah. Oh, not so big now. How good your sword doing you now, bud? How about that armor? Oh, how about that pension? How about everything you've got? Let me see that breastplate. Let me see them fancy sandals you're wearing. Let me see what you got those loins girt about with. Yes, sir. How is it that you're shaking now? How is it you're laying there like a dead man, speechless? You've got nothing to say. You can't even move a muscle. You dare not lift your sword. Take your sword, man. Stand up and fight. You're there to guard the tomb. Someone has just come and broken the seal. Someone has just come and taken the seal and broken it that you put on there. Get your sword sir get up and take your job seriously and defend it why the silence there are times when silence speaks and the angel answers <laughs> but I like this he didn't even speak to those fellas and he said unto the women now the soldiers are there but the women who have come oh glory hallelujah because this message is for those, it's preached to all, but in all earnestness, it's to those who want truth. Right. It's not to those who are out to fulfill, because they won't have it. It's for them, but they won't have it. No, sir. But he doesn't even address the soldiers. They're not worth time. But there's some earnest seekers here. There's some folks that are sincere. There's some folks here that are looking for something. There's some folks here that are disappointed. There's some folks here whose hopes have been dashed. There's some folks here that are down. They're not proud and haughty like those soldiers. Let them soak a little bit in their humility. Let them soak up a little bit in their humiliation. Let me talk to these women over here that, that have, a, have a great need. That's what the Bible said. And he said this. Notice this. He said, I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. <laughs> Glory. He is not here. There it is. Notice. There he tells us. That's why they've opened up that tomb. Not to let him out, as some folks think. But he's opened up that tomb because that's the only way. If he stripped there out and said he's not here, he's risen. But the seal is still on the door. The stone is still over the door. How do I know he's not risen? How can I tell that? I can't see what's inside that. I don't have to take an angel word. The angel said basically, you don't have to take my word for it. He's not here. And I rolled this stone back so you can see he's not here. Come on. Come on inside. Enter into the tomb. Notice that's what he says. I like this. And he said he's not here for he is risen. And he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly. Here's something I want to bring up to you about this resurrection that you and I have here today. There's a, there's a new attitude that's going to come out of this. Something's going to change. It's it's changed in the angels. They've went from standing at attention with a sense of not knowing what's going on to now sitting on stones and just watching this folks go by and say, look at here. He's not here. He's arisen. I know he had to have a smile on his face. Surely he did. But what about the women? He does something. He said, come and see where he lay and then go quickly. In other words, I want you to see and be convinced that he's not here and he's risen and then go on your way and start telling and preaching to the others and tell him that he has risen from the dead as he said. What's the thing? I tell you too many folks are hanging in the tomb. They went in there to get convinced. They went in there to see that he's risen. But the problem is they just get too many questions. They aren't willing to take the obvious evidence. It doesn't take long to examine an empty tomb. It doesn't take long to determine he's either here or he's not. 
We've got a body or we are empty-handed. Which one is it? Isn't that the sense that it seems like some folks, because they don't want truth, they just want to criticize? I mean, they'll bring out the fingerprint kits. Well, maybe there's still some lingering evidence around here. Maybe he's hiding under a rock. Maybe he's back in the corner. You ain't looking for him to be risen. I'm not trying to tell you ignore it. I'm just trying to tell you folks uh, that the resurrection event has got more historical evidence uh, than any other event that we know of. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, we've, got, we've got less uh, literary written historical evidence to verify that Julius Caesar existed than we do the person of Jesus Christ. We've got more written evidence uh, to confirm uh, that Jesus was real and he died and he rose from the dead than we do for all of Shakespeare's plays. Uh, that we will take Shakespeare as gospel. We will take Roman history as gospel. We will read about those things and take them as if they're gospel. But we doubt the thing. Why? All you want to do is hang around a tomb. All you want to do is hang around a hillside and try to find something to say that he's still there. I got news for you, buddy. It don't take long to discover he's not here. He has risen and he lives forevermore. Smell the tomb. The stench of death is gone. The clean clothes are empty. He lives forevermore. Hallelujah. Get your conviction established and roll on. He's either dead or alive. And if he lives, serve him. And if he's dead, go on your merry way and find somebody else. Go quickly. Tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and behold, he goes before you into Galilee and there shall you see him. Well, I've told you. I like this. They departed quickly <laughs> from the sepulcher. Now remember, they have came to see a sepulcher, but they came expecting to find the body. And what has brought them joy is not what they found, but what they didn't find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, bro. Yeah. Woo! It isn't the discovery of something that they got there that they're taking away with them. It's something that wasn't there. <laughs> Glory. And they're going away to see. Praise God. He's not here. He is risen. Then notice what he said. Bible said, and they went to tell his disciples. First of all, they departed the sepulcher with fear and great joy. What a mix of emotions. Woo. Have you ever been so happy you shook? Have you ever been happy and fearful at the same time? Sometimes that's how I feel in the presence of a mighty God. Yeah. Sometimes I, I've been so full of glory and so full of his presence that the joy feels like I'm about to bust at the scene. Yeah. And yet at the same time, there's a, there's a sense of holiness that just kind of seeps over you. And, and, and you're just like, do I dare move a muscle? Woo! 
glory. You want to jump and you want to run at the same time and, and, and you just find you can't do it. They go away, they're shaking in their boots. What are they saying? Did you see that angel? I never felt anything like that. Did you see how they roll that stone away? My, my, my. Let's just put it where it's at. Very few people in life really get to see an angel. Very few people get to witness what they witness. There was only a handful that got to see that angel at the tomb. And there was a crowd of skeptics and the soldiers and the crowd of believers and the women. And the angel addressed the believers, but when they left, they're as excited as they've ever been. Imagine what a transformation when they arrived at the hillside, when they arrived at the tomb. My, what a situation. They come there pondering, who's going to roll away the stone? They come there with their spices. They come there to celebrate a past event, a past life, a past ministry. They come there to celebrate a good event. They come there to celebrate a good man. Oh, but when they get there, they're really sad. They're grieved in their hearts. But all of a sudden, where's those spices? I got to wonder if they didn't leave them on the ground. What did they do with those things that brought to seal up the body of Christ? They're no longer necessary. He doesn't need your spice. He doesn't need your fragrance. Oh, he's got all his own. He's not got on him the smell of death. He lives forevermore. Joy. They left with joy. Great joy. That's got a hold of them. They're, they're jumping. They're shouting. You think at that moment they care what the neighbor thinks? You think they're worried about their emotion at this point? No. They're so excited. This is not a slur, all right? It happens with men and women. This is not meant negative. But you put a bunch of females with that kind of excitement, and it's not going to be quiet. Come on now, go ahead. <laughs> we got folks just rattling off the whole time. Do you see this? Do you see this? What about this? What about this? Do you see that? Do you see that? We got, we got to tell him. We got to tell him. We got to, whoo. Remember, he did say third day, didn't he? This is it. What is it? I don't know what questions you're going. Everything they're saying, but they're talking, they're going. And all of a sudden, they're in the way. Boom, there he appears. Oh, hell. <laughs> that word hell is most often translated rejoice. It was a greeting, but it literally means rejoice. <laughs> rejoice. Hallelujah. I like that kind of greeting. I don't know what just says more than hello. It says something more than how are you today? Those are nice. They're English. They're kind. But I like those old Hebrew and Greek, or those Hebrew greetings really more so in the in Christian early church greeting. Maranatha, the Lord come. <laughs> Rejoice. Woo. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Rejoice. Yes, sir. He doesn't come now. He's not come to beat them up. He's come now to lift them up. He's not come to encourage their sorrow. He's come to increase their joy. He has not come to some kind of soothe them. He has come to bring into them a delight that they has never before expressed. And he said, all hell. And they came and they held him. But I'm just telling you that there is a new attitude and the resurrection 
resurrection has brought it. Christianity is not a religion that goes around preaching saying, well, you just need to come and you know you need to meet this time of week and we have meetings this day and that day and you got to read our religious book and you got to say your religious prayers and yes, we're looking for Jesus to come. No, our very greeting says, get happy. Woo, hallelujah. Rejoice. Yes, sir. And when we go, we got something to preach to people. Every time we get together, it ought to be that kind of atmosphere. Every time the church symbols, there ought to be a sense. We are living in victory and not defeat. He has risen from the dead. We're not gathering in a graveyard. We're gathering in a house of worship. We're not celebrating a sepulcher. We're celebrating a Savior. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. There's a new devotion. Look what they did. The Bible says they're going. I don't think they're ambling along. They're running. I mean, they're they're running. Come on, let's go. We gotta go. Come on. We go tell them. Hurry up. Come on. Come on. Hurry. Come on. Hurry up. Hurry up, let's go. We got to go. We got to tell him. Oh, wow, wait for me, wait for me. I could just see him doing that. And then all of a sudden, boom. Oh, hell. Then he fell down. And they got a hold of his feet. I'm telling them, they all just got around his feet. And I said, they held his feet. That word held there means to take hold of, it means to seize. It means to get a grip on it. They didn't just touch it. I think, I think one of the things they're saying is this. First thing, you left us the first time. You ain't leaving us again. You got away from us once. That'll not happen again. I could see if I'd had it to do over, I'd have hung at the foot of that cross. If I'd had it to do over, I'd have went to tomb with you if I had to. I think so. Maybe some are thinking that. But they got a hold of him now. And I'm telling you, here they are. What are you doing, ladies? You are down in the dirt. You're on a dusty highway. You've got your clothes dirty. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about the dirt on the clothes. Doesn't matter about who's watching us. We're in the presence of the king. Glory to God. This is not merely Jesus of Nazareth. This is the resurrected Lord. This is not just him who heals. This is he who reigns. This is not just the one who teaches on a hillside. This is the one that sits at the right hand of God. His very presence emulates deity. His very nature lets you know you're in the presence of God Almighty. Woo! Hallelujah. These who ministered to him of their substance. These who cooked him meals yeah. now lay hold of his feet yeah. and worshiped. That verse alone is enough to say he is God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. Because he had no right. And these are not fly by night ladies. Mm. These are not mere emotional women, silly women, right. easily seduced. These are women of discretion. These are virtuous women. 
They may have been former prostitutes, but they've been following the king. They have got records that show that they're women of virtue. They're followers of the Lord. Their lives have been transformed by his ministry. And now the one whose words mesmerize them, their presence now humbles them. And they get a hold of his feet and they worship him. Well, they didn't have a shouting service. What do you mean they worshiped him? They laid themselves at his feet with such adoration, such sense of of majesty that he is august he is majestic who are we to even look upon him if they've got a hold of his feet I don't think they're doing this number I don't think they're holding the feet and looking like that up at the sky I think they got their head buried right down there next to those feet I don't know it's a new body so it's probably going but oh wouldn't it have been wonderful if Mary's fragrant perfume had just lingered a little bit I don't know they can see the nail scars yeah. that are in the feet and they know it. I think these are women who have washed the feet of the Lord. Come on now. Yeah. I believe these are women who have when he entered the house, they've washed his feet before. They know those feet. Yes. They know this is not an imposter. This is not another one. This is the very same Jesus. How he lives, I do not know. How he lives, I do not know. How he came off the cross, I do not know. How he can have nail scars and yet live, I do not know. But it is the same Jesus. It is the same Jesus. It is the same Jesus. And I will worship him. My teacher is also my God. My teacher is also my Lord. I'm a disciple, but I'm also a subject of the King of Heaven. Amen. They worshiped. The result is not a barrage of questions, though they surely had them. The first instinct is not to hold a committee meeting. Their first instinct is to worship. Love, adoration. You suspect that maybe those ladies, that some of them, I know what kind of emotions are they going through when he died? Surely there's fear. Surely there's bewilderment. Incredulousness is like this. How can this be happening? Overwhelmed. But I can also feel probably some frustration. Maybe even with some a little anger. If you looked at that scene and didn't get angry at the Sanhedrin, I'd got to wonder whether you were even alive. If you didn't see the injustice of those, let me tell you, these women didn't spit on his face. They weren't up there mocking him. They stood afar off and beheld the whole scene. Bewilderment. I don't know how to express their emotions. But when they got in, oh, hallelujah. When they got in the presence of the Lord, all those emotions are faded. And there's only one now that dominates the beating. And it's honoring him. We'd do well to see him again. 
I think sometimes we arrive at the house of worship and the Lord manifests himself, but we still let our bewilderment overcome us. Yeah. We're still looking at our trouble. Well, our problem is instead of running to meet him, we're still inspecting the tomb. Oh, yes. Instead of going quickly, we're still hanging back there trying to say, we got some questions. We got some doubts. We got some wonders. And we've become graveyard saints just hanging around looking for another event. Your Lord is risen. Your Lord has risen, Lord. Hallelujah. What is your problem? He sees it. What is your difficulty? He is looking at it. Where do you stand? The Lord is with you. We serve a risen Savior. Our first response, let the emotion go. Let the fear subside. Let the frustration be dispersed. And let worship come out to the God of heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What's wrong with us when we get in a house of worship and can't worship? What's wrong with us when we get in the presence of the king and can't lay hold of his feet? What's wrong with us when our old emotions are still governing our lives? I tell you what's wrong with us. We're not getting close. We're still hanging around the tomb. Go on. Get away from here. There's a greater glory than the glory of the angel. There's a greater glory than the one who came down. And it's the one who's going up. Hallelujah. Lay a hold of him. He is not dead. He lives. He lives Hallelujah. A little later on, they get, they get to Galilee, and they went at a place appointed. If you read the account in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a series of appearances by Christ that are mentioned by Paul, particular order. In one event, we're never told what happens in Scripture, but... This is my opinion. This is where I place it in Matthew 28. You can read about it. Down there in Matthew, the same chapter we're in, if you look at it, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then it says, they worshipped him. Then it says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now he's appointed the eleven, but I think that's probably in this scenario is in somewhere in that time frame where the 500, you remember he appeared unto 500 at one time? Yeah. Some folks want to make that in Acts chapter 1 when he left and ascended to glory, but it won't fit. It won't fit. Because afterwards it says after this is when he appears to James. And there's no way that you're going to fit Christ appearing to James in Acts chapter 1. That's not going to fit after his ascension. Because that would have him appearing after his ascension on the mount. And so it won't work. And he appears to James after appearing unto the 500. That's a little sideline. My point is, I think that there's probably more here than the 11. And there's somewhere in this appearance of the 500. But even at that, if it's just the 11, the Bible says that they come. And when they saw him again, there's something about it now when you get in the presence with him. You don't argue with him. When you get in his presence, you don't fuss with him. You just bow and you worship. Lord, is there any other thing to do in the presence of God? Watch the seraphim. Watch the cherubim. What do they do in his presence? Holy, holy, holy. They don't ask, why are we doing this? They don't ask, what's this happening about? What's this going on? I tell you, when the Holy Ghost is moving in this place, it's time to shut down the questions. It's time to shut down the doubt. 
shouts. It's time for you to get on your face and say, God, be lifted up. It doesn't matter where I stand. It doesn't matter who I am in the sense of what I'm going through and what my valley looks like or how large the mountain looms in front of me. None of that matters. Bigger than the mountain is my God. Greater than the valley is my king. And I'm now in the presence of the king. And the only response that has any sense at all is bow and kiss the feet and worship him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But inevitably, there's this mixture. Read it down in that verse I just read. And some worshiped, but some doubted. There it is. Now, what did they doubt? Now, it indicates they all worshiped. I think that's the indication. All of them are worshiping, but some of them are doubting. What are they doubting? Well, I think the thing that they're still struggling with, I don't think there's among this crowd unbelief, and there's a difference. Maybe it's a fine line between doubt and unbelief, but I believe one comes out of a, a lack of light while the other comes out of a resistance to the light. Unbelief is the result of resistance against God's will. Doubt is the result of simply the lack of knowledge of God's will. What are they doubting? I think the thing that they're doubting is it's still yet to them a puzzle. Put yourself there for a moment. Am I dreaming? Is this a dream? Is this real? Is he real? I saw him die. Is he real? I saw him die a horrible death. He was placed in a tomb. Is he real? Hmm. That's where becomes the struggle for us. We recognize he can be real, but have we been able to tap into that reality? We know he can heal, but have we experienced the healing? We know he can deliver, but have we experienced the deliverance? That's always seems to be where we kind of hang sometimes. We worship him. We know that we are in the presence of such majesty. He is worthy of our worship. But has he really returned? Is this just a fantasy? Is this just a little tidbit? Is this something that's just a dream? Is this not really what the reality is going to be? Is this a new reality or is this just another momentary experience? What have I got a hold of here? Is he really in the flesh or does he just appear to be in the flesh? Is he really flesh and bones or is he just making appearances and he's really just a spirit? Because if he's just a spirit, I don't have a resurrection from the tomb. And if he's just a spirit, then let's go body hunting. Come on. If he's just a spirit, there's a corpse laying around somewhere. If he has not literally risen from the dead, then somewhere there is a physical body of Jesus. There is a corpse. We ought to go find it. And let's just put it up and we can show this at least that he lived or that he was a real person. There's no corpse to find. There's no body to find. He is alive and he is resurrected and he's got a new body. Hallelujah. Oh, that old 
flesh has been consumed in the glory of this new man and he's got a glorified body and they doubted and they're wondering is this really him is this really you how many of you are thinking sometimes will he really fill me with the Holy Ghost will he really heal my body you recognize the fact that it's a possibility but it hasn't become a reality you doubt in your mind I say you ought to settle the doubts and worship him I'm not worshiping an apparition I'm not worshiping a dream I'm worshiping the reality of my God hallelujah Somewhere there's got to become an inward conviction in your spirit that this is real. This is true. And I am going to live and act on the basis of that fact. Woo! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We got a house full of worshipers, but some doubt. Come on now. We got a house full of folks that'll pray, but some doubt. We got a house full of those that come and ask, but some doubt. Come on now. That's why we're not receiving. That's why it's not getting anywhere in the practicality. Because you see that glorified body that you lay your hands upon, that body that you can touch, is the very hope of my life. You're going to lay me in a tomb one day. You're going to put me in a box if Jesus tarries and bury it down in the ground. But that will not be the final testimony of my life. Make me a headstone. Make me and write me an epitaph on that headstone. Write my name and put the year of my birth and the year of my death but you can only refer to the body because one day that headstone is going to be blown to oblivion one day that headstone is going to become absolutely meaningless because I will raise from the dead and the body that's in that coffin the body that's in that coffin will be my body it'll be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ glory to the Lamb of God Hallelujah. Read down to that verse. Verse number 10. Then Jesus said to them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren. This has only been mentioned a few times in a ministry of Christ, but now there's a new relationship. What has been talked about has now become a greater reality. He had mentioned it back in the Gospel of Matthew. On one occasion, they come seeking for him, and he said, Who is my mother and who is my brother? And he talked about whoever does the will of my father, the same as my mother, and the same as my brethren. Later in Matthew 25, when he gives a parable, he will speak of an event that's coming in the future as not yet transacted. And it will be in the context of when, when people who are unaware of the full reality of what they're doing, they are helping Christians. They're helping saints. They're feeding them in prison. They're visiting them. They're ministering to their needs. They're clothing them. They're giving them food. In the parable in Matthew 25, and Jesus said, As much as, as you did it under the one of the least of these, my 
brethren, you did it unto me. Oh, yes. I hear the Apostle Paul write in Romans chapter 8 when he talks about that he, that he's, as many as he predestined, he talks about that he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Oh, yes. I hear him say again in Hebrews chapter 2, I believe it is, and he talks about wherefore him that sanctifies and they that are sanctified are all one. Wherefore he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Oh, up to this point, what's he going to say about them? It seems like the more often not they're merely disciples. He has called them friends because he's telling them what he's going to do. But now what has been happening or what has happened as a result of going to the right hand of the Father, he is now going to be able to give us a new birth and it was not possible before. He would tell it to Nicodemus but it will not become possible until he sends the Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And that's all because of the resurrection. Resurrection takes him to the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the Father, he sends the Holy Ghost. And when he sends the Holy Ghost, we get a new birth. But he already calls us brethren. Go tell my brethren. He didn't say go tell my subjects. He didn't say go tell my slaves. He didn't say go tell my disciples. He said tell my brethren. Tell those who are living under the same father as I live. Tell those who are in the same family. Tell those who get the same inheritance. Tell those who have the same royal blood running through them that they can be born from above. They are my brothers. I don't know of any other religion that when you get in it, you become part of the family of God. A new relationship. I am not just going out as an ambassador, though that's true. I am not just going out as a servant, though that's true. I'm going out as a brother. I thought about that some this morning. I got to tell you, it still blows my mind. In that context of worship him, he's Lord, he's master. But have you ever thought that you could be called the brother of Jesus? What an elite crowd. I never had a brother growing up. Still, I got plenty in the church. But physically speaking, I had two sisters. One's going on to be with the Lord. One lives in Gastonia. I don't know what it's like to have an earthly brother. I had some good friends that probably treated me like a brother in that regards. But a brother. I know one thing. When you got a brother, you grow up together. You live in the same house. You answer to the same authority. You're provided for with the same hand. Ooh, glory. Let me be the brother to the one who commended his hand, his spirit, into the hands of the Father. If the Father took care of Christ, is he not going to take care of me? Oh, my, my, my. Oh, yes. If he raised up Christ, he'll raise me up. You think he's going to leave? You think he's going to raise up the elder brothers, elder brother, and leave the other brothers in the ground? You think he's going to raise up one and let the others go without? No, sir. He might be the firstborn. He might get the glory, but we're still in the same house. My, my, my. I'm 
going to tell you something that gets a hold of me more than I can think about. That blows my mind. When God saves me, he doesn't just make me a distant servant. He doesn't just make me a distant subject. I am brought into the family. A spiritual connection it is. But I am now connected to Christ. I am his brother. I am his brother. I'm in the family of God. God is my father. And I belong to him. The same nature. The same nature flows in my veins. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let me close right here this morning. Let me close. Out of time this morning. Let's look. I want you to look at verse 11. What's happening here? One more thing. It's been a new day, a new attitude, a new devotion. We worship Him, a new relationship. But there's also a new absurdity. Verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city. Okay. So the earth is quit shaking. That bright angel leaves. I still think for a while they just sit there. And then finally someone dare speak. Is it gone? Is it gone? I think so. I don't see any light. I don't know. I heard a whoosh when he left. I don't know. I just sit there. And they raise up real slowly and gingerly. Now let's just be honest with one another. How do you go tell that to somebody and not be thought to be crazy? They're going to go, talk to me. Yeah. You got drunk, that's what you did. How you do that one, folks? Let's just be real about it. Yeah. And so what they do is they go into the city. Here they go. Some of them. Some of them cats said, I'm out of here. No one would believe me. I'm not telling anything. I got to wonder if some of them soldiers didn't get saved. And went and looked up one of them apostles. Maybe they was walking down the street. And old Mary walks by. I remember. And she looks him in the eye and she's got that smile. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and she's serving that resurrected Lord and she knows you saw him, didn't you? Yeah, you was there too, bud, wasn't you? Uh-huh. Yeah, you was there too, doing one difference. You're trying to hide, and I'm letting it flow. <laughs> glory to God. You're still running from it, and I've embraced it. Yeah, glory to God. Yeah. I just wonder if they didn't run him up against some women somewhere and say, I remember you. Yeah, I've seen you before too, haven't you? Yes, sir. And maybe you went somewhere they got off to the side. Would you tell me some more about that? What happened after y'all left that day? Oh, my. I got to believe one of those guys had enough sense to get saved. But a few of them fellas says, you know what? We got to protect our hides. That's the world. Always got to protect their hide. Always got to protect their job. Always got to protect their reputation. So off they go. And they go back into them fellas. Fellas, did you feel that earthquake a while ago? We was out there at that tomb. You're not going to believe what we saw. You're not going to believe what we saw, fellas. 
we saw an angel. His appearance was so bright, buddy, we hit the ground. We didn't say nothing. This tomb is open. The seal has been broken. You go check it out yourself. We didn't do it. Now listen, fellas. He's not inside. There's no body. What are we going to do? You can lose your job for that, soldier. You can lose your life for that. You can lose it. What are we going to do? You know what? Amazing. You know what that crowd should have said? What? There's no body. An angel opened and rolled the stone away. You were there. Are you serious? Yes. Maybe you got three or four witnesses, whatever. Yes, that's a fact. You'd think that, boys, maybe we better reconsider a little bit. Maybe we messed up. No. Nah. They know about that. They've so put light out of their mind and so hardened their hearts that when evidence that is undeniable sits in front of them, they've got a scheme. Let's see what we're going to do here. Tell you what we're going to do. First thing we're going to do is, hey, you guys are in a hot spot, and we know, and we put you there. Well, let's go get the treasury. Open it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. What will it take, fellas? I'm just going to put it in today's vernacular. $1,000? Are you kidding me, buddy? My life's on the line, and it's worth more than 1000 bucks. You understand that? If I'm going to face this, the sword of Rome, I'm going to have a little bit to enjoy yeah. it with for a while. Yeah, I'm out there because of you, you lying rascals anyway. They knew what they were. Yeah. They knew exactly what that crowd was. And I'm going to tell you, you've seen thieves, and they get together. It's one thief stealing from another thief. Yes, sir. And that money they've been getting from widow's houses, now they're going to pay them off. Yes, sir. And they're going to say, how much are you going to take? 10000 that would be the minimum you're going to pay me, bud. And I'm looking at the size of that bag you got. 20 will be a lot better. Yes, sir. Make that gold just ring on jingle a little bit more because you're going to pay and you're going to pay big. And they paid him large sums, the Bible said. Oh, yes, sir. And they paid him large sums of money and they're walking away with that jingle in their pocket and nobody's going to know about that. Wife goes home, where'd you get your money at? Tell that story. <laughs> Go ahead and tell that one, buddy. Yes, sir. I don't know what they come up with, but I can tell you what happened. And here these guys then they said now listen this is what you got to do you're going to tell folks that if you anybody asks you about what happened to the body you're going to tell them that you fell asleep and while you slept the disciples came away and stole the body we either got dumb pharisees dumb soldiers or both if you my first question is sir if you were asleep how do you know who stole the body Maybe it was a disciple. Maybe it was a Pharisee. Maybe it was your mother or your mother-in-law. I don't know, bud, but I can tell you if you were asleep, you got no idea. You better come up with a better story than that because that one ain't going to fly. Yes, sir. Oh, I was asleep, and no soldier is going to admit he fell asleep on the job. Oh, this is crazy. Somebody's lost their marbles. What heights we will go to to try to cover up the fact that there's a resurrection resurrected Lord. We live in a world that's coming up with this idea and that idea. He never really died. He swooned. He just went down there. They just imagined it with Jesus. You can come up with all you want to, but there's an empty tomb. I'm telling you, there's an empty tomb. And I, for one, am going to bow the knees and kiss the feet of the Lord of glory. Give him glory. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. Our world is coming up with new absurdities relative to the resurrection.
but each one becomes more preposterous than the one before it. Each story gets harder to believe. Each situation more, more difficult to lay hold of. And it becomes obvious at this point that all you've got is a bunch of hard-hearted people that don't want to admit the reality of the resurrection. Now listen to me. We've got a new day. We got a new attitude. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Glory to God. We got a new relationship. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. And there may be new absurdities, but that's just what they are schemes that make no sense. We got a new devotion. He is no longer. Our rabbi, he is our resurrected Lord. We are not just pupils in a classroom. We are brothers. <laughs> we are children of the Most High God. So when you go out to fulfill this commission... Go in that new spirit and that new devotion and that new relationship. Celebrate in the new day. And when new absurdities come, laugh at them and preach on. Because there's one thing we're convinced of. He lives. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.